Hello and welcome to BCL Coast to Coast, the official podcast of the Basketball Champions League. My name is Austin Green. This week's show, we have the CEO of the Basketball Champions League, Patrick Cominos. He's on to talk about the BCL's decision to move the Final Four and the quarterfinals to September and play a Final Eight format. We'll have all the details on that coming up a little bit later on the show. Joining me for that conversation and also to kind of wrap up the 2019-2020 season uh, as it is right now is David Hein over in Germany. Dave, how you doing this week? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, ready to go on a hiatus, I guess, if you will. Um, and uh, it was good to definitely have have uh, uh, Patrick Caminos on here and uh, kind of talk through talk through the uh, decisions that have been made. And you know, I was glad to you know really have a chance to you know hear his opinion and and uh you know his frankness on 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 what the plan is and looking forward for the uh, you know for the next couple of months um so but yeah you know going to obviously miss uh or continue to miss basketball um but also uh then miss the the podcast for a while yeah so this will be our last episode for the near future maybe if there's some big news or something happens uh over the next couple months we'll do an episode but until then uh like the rest of the basketball world we'll just be kind of waiting and watching and seeing how the whole coronavirus pandemic unfolds uh but the bcl they decided and i think it was a great decision to go with the final eight format in september that's going to take place september 30th through october 4th we'll also have the two remaining round of 16 series uh be played out uh as kind of play-in games for that final eight tournament as two of the eight teams still have to qualify so coming up next we talked to basketball champions league ceo patrick cominos about the thought process that led to that decision some of the other important elements such as fan participation potential hosts things like that as well as a wrap-up of the season in general so stay tuned for that after the interview, Dave and I will wrap things up uh, by talking about some of our favorite players and teams and games from the regular season and round of 16. So on the show this week uh, is uh, Patrick Caminos, the CEO of the Basketball Champions League. Uh, Patrick, thanks for, for coming on the show. My pleasure. Good morning. Uh, coming back on, we had you on last last season, uh, shortly before the Final Four, to uh, talk about the wonderful uh, 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 event that was going to be take, taking place in Antwerp. Uh, it seems like a long, long time ago. Obviously, we're in different times right now. Just maybe just uh, checking in. Uh, you're staying safe and exercising, social distancing, probably home office, right, I assume? Yes, uh... Inevitably, like like everybody else, uh, we, we are respecting the the advice from the relevant authorities, working from home, uh, but coordinating uh, with everyone, uh, both uh, at the office, well, the team from from the office that is working at home, and of course all our stakeholders uh, all over Europe, the clubs, the leagues. Uh, in trying to uh, to better understand what uh, the short and the long term uh, impact uh, of this unique situation will be, because of course nobody has the blueprint uh, on what to do. So 
uh, a lot of it is 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 reaction to uh, to the news that we receive every day. Um, obviously, we wanted to. We were planning on having you before the final four, anyhow. Um, and now that a decision has come down, obviously, we talked about it last week. Um, you know, people, fans know a final eight is planned in September, and then before which the 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 two unfinished uh, round of sixteen ties will be decided. Um, maybe can you talk us through that decision process, how, how it resulted in this idea of the, of the final eight? Yes, of course. Um, I think from our point of view, uh, in this case, uh, it relates to the teams that participate, to the leagues that are involved and of course to, to the board members, um, we had set out uh, a number of prerequisites uh, in order for us to be able to conclude the season uh, within uh, the, the reasonable time, meaning by the end of, uh, of June when all sport activities are meant uh, to finish. Uh, and for us, uh, being able to, to have the conclusion of a season in a, in a fair and competitive manner uh, meaning that uh, all the team rosters uh, should be able to uh, to be present and to train. Uh, that was important. And then, of course, uh, for everybody to be able to, to travel uh, and at the end uh, to participate in a, in a final four uh, that, uh, in an ideal scenario, would be played uh, in front of a full uh, capacity arena. These, these for us, were, were important uh, parameters for uh, organizing the conclusion uh, of the season. As you mentioned, uh, Antwerp uh, before, uh, we all know and acknowledge that the final four for us is, is our marquee uh, event. Uh, it is the pinnacle of the season. And uh, we have been able so far uh, in the three previous editions to really organize uh, a unique uh, event, uh, uh, both on and off the court. So for us, this this remained uh, an important aspect uh, in uh, in the conclusion of the season. And then when we looked at all these different parameters uh, and uh, and one by one uh, each each became very difficult uh, to fulfill. Then of course we had to examine uh, the alternatives. But we acknowledge from our side that. Well, what we are trying to conclude is a much more complicated process than what some of the leagues are still hoping and trying uh, uh, to finish, uh, which is the domestic league season. Because, you know, from, from a domestic league point of view, you just need the green light of one relevant governmental authority that says, OK, gyms can reopen, people can, uh, can meet and train and... Uh, worse comes to worse, season might be concluded behind uh, closed doors. In our case, when we require the simultaneous um, lifting of, of all the restrictions in eight different countries that are still involved uh, in the Basketball Champions League, and then on top of that, to hope that international travel uh, would be uh, allowed for all participating teams, that was perceived as uh, uh, very unrealistic. So instead of keeping everybody waiting, instead of delaying uh, the inevitable as far as we are concerned when it comes to international competitions, and of course, having the luxury 
uh, of having just uh, a few games left uh, in order to conclude the season because we are uh, at the quarterfinal stage. So uh, pending the two single games that need to be uh, still played between Tenerife and Ostende and uh, Dijon and Nizhny Novgorod, we have the, the eight teams. And therefore, uh, we are just uh, a handful of games uh, away from concluding the season. So we had the luxury uh, to tell ourselves, okay, let's delay this or let's postpone this for uh, late September, early October uh, in order to do it properly, uh, in order to give the clubs the opportunity to participate in an event that does justice to all the efforts that have been collectively put in place by all of us, clubs, leagues, federations, and all of us at the BCL in order to uh, finish the season in, uh, in the best possible manner. It might not be the ideal outcome, but as far as we're concerned, it is the best from all the available options uh, we had in front of us. What, what were some of the other options? I mean, we don't have to, you know, you don't have to give like three, four, five, or just like maybe what maybe was the, the second, op, the second uh, closest option? Well, I, think, I, I think the alternative uh, was to wait and see. Uh, if things could resume sometime uh, in June and then uh, try to organize the, the conclusion of the season um, no matter what. So if people could not travel to find a neutral venue, if we could not have fans to do it without fans, uh, that was one option. And the other, of course, is to, to stop the season uh, and not crown a champion and uh, uh, conclude it as inconclusive. Uh, so from from these alternatives, we still believe that the opportunity uh, to allow everyone uh, to still fight for the title and to do it at a time when uh, normality hopefully has resumed, uh, fans can be at the arena, teams can train properly and travel uh, uh, accordingly, that to us made a lot more sense than either uh, doing a haphazard event in June in the event, in the case that we might have been allowed, or to to stop the season. And how important was it for the BCL to to crown a champion for the nineteen to two thousand nineteen to twenty season? I mean, we are a sport organization. What we do is organize sport events, and, and we uh, want at the end uh, to have the the ultimate winner, the ultimate champion. This is what sport uh, is all about. On top of this, we have to take into account that we are not a league. Uh, a league has standings, uh, everybody plays against everybody, so uh, it is perhaps easier from a league point of view, and certain leagues in, in Europe are already doing this, crowning the champion, uh, the team that is at this current moment at the top of the table. But in, in our competition, where we are currently at the knockout phase, um, we cannot uh, uh, crown a champion practically, legally, uh, uh, ethically. So for us, uh, uh, it remains very important. We are a sport organization. And at the end of the day, uh, it, it's great if uh, we can have uh, a final and, and the winner uh, of this event to take home the 2020 uh, BCL uh, championship. Yeah, Patrick, where is the league right now in terms of looking at potential hosts for the final eight in September, uh, whether that's one of the teams that's already qualified or potentially a, a neutral site location? Well, as you know, uh, 
our principle is to always host the event uh, in the venue of one of the participating uh, teams. Uh, we do this both for operational uh, purposes in order to find uh, a proper uh, organizing partner, uh, but also in terms of uh, promoting the event and uh, having uh, fan uh, attendance uh, at the arena. We saw in Antwerp last year that uh, you know the fact that it was held in, in Antwerp created a, a certain uh, overall interest. Uh, and at the end, even the final uh, where the home team was not participating uh, was a, a sellout uh, capacity, 17,000 people in the arena. So we do acknowledge that both from an operational, a promotional and an attendance point of view, it is important for us uh, to, uh, to try at first uh, to find a host among the participating uh, teams. And this is what we are actually doing as, as we speak today. We are sending out uh, to the 10 uh, remaining team uh, the updated uh, hosting requirements uh, because we are initiating this process uh, from scratch. We have done so uh, for the final four, but uh, it's a different time uh, of the year, maybe different interests, maybe different arena availabilities. So we want to be fair to, to all the teams uh, and we are relaunching this process, uh, and we hope that uh, by the end of May, we will have concluded uh, all the discussions, all the planning, uh, and be able to announce the, the host of this uh, final aid uh, to be held uh, 30th of September to 4th of October. Great. And you, you mentioned the events last year at Antwerp and, you know, 17, 18,000 people there in Belgium. Um, obviously we don't know what things will look like in September, but what happens if we get there and it's not okay to have that many fans in a venue, uh, is, is the BCL thinking that in, at that point they would maybe play in an arena without fans? Yeah. I mean, usually I, I don't like to, to speculate and, and I always say, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, but, but inevitably, uh, we will need to be in anticipatory discussions with all the relevant authorities uh, well in advance in order to feel that uh, uh, the conditions uh, for people traveling and for people gathering uh, are met uh, in order for us to be able to host this event in the way that, that we are uh, uh, ideally planning to do it. Uh, of course, uh, if in, in October... Uh, uh, we are still not able to organize sport events with fans, uh, one can understand the overall impact uh, in the sport industry. Uh, so I think the BCL will be uh, among many, many other sport properties that will be facing some very dire uh, consequences uh, if events in October cannot be held uh, in front of larger crowds, which, which again, uh, from a scientific point of view, uh, uh, nobody knows, but there is there is this, uh, I guess, possibility. And then, of course, we will have, like all the other sport properties, to adjust to that new uh, uh, reality uh, of ours. Uh, but we hope, uh, not just for the BCL's sake, for, for our communities and for our sports' sake, that by October uh, we would be able to, to organize games uh, with spectators. And again, as I say, if this is not possible... Uh, the, the sport world overall will have uh, very significant issues to face. I know, uh, and uh, I know you, you said you don't want to speculate. Um, and uh, obviously, this is sort of, uh, I guess, still going in that direction. But 
You know, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, you're talking about uh, a number of different countries uh, among those among those 10 teams. Uh, and uh, is there any sort of contingency plan um, as far as, you know, let's say one of those countries, uh, you know, Russia or Spain or whoever, one of the countries that the, the situation uh, in that country is still uh, is still, you know, too bad or, you know, the. Uh, things haven't been opened up as much and and that uh, you know let's say one of these teams actually can't uh, uh, you know wouldn't be able to compete in this is that is that something that's kind of even being uh, thrown in there as a, as a possibility I mean right now we, we all live in in such a unique environment <laughs> uh, every day we are faced with a new with a new curveball uh, this is this is moving targets. Uh, uh, environment where nobody can really uh, uh, guess uh, on anything that might happen uh, in the future. We are we are all just using some some common sense uh, uh, and rely on the data uh, that we receive uh, in order to to move our lives. Um, so yes, I can presume that this could be a possibility. Uh, situation could be. Uh, worse uh, in certain countries than, than certain others. And again, if we do face a, a, a factual situation where one team or two teams are not able uh, to compete, then, of course, we have to revisit uh, the whole exercise. Because, again, from our point of view, uh, we are a sport uh, organization and our priority is on the health and safety, uh, mental and physical of the players, the coaching staff, and all the participants, and of course, at the end, uh, in providing an, an equal and fair uh, environment for all the teams to compete in. So uh, we will have to address this uh, uh, in the eventuality, uh, hopefully not, that, that it does uh, happen. But again, as I said, uh, if in October uh, our world uh, is still uh, not allowed to be uh, as mobile and, uh, and uh, as uh, uh, and in a possibility to to congregate and, and to have uh, activities uh, uh, of this sort, then uh, uh, I think we we will we will all be facing far far greater challenges uh, than just the hosting uh, of of a final aid. So uh, I like to to you know always trans keep things in context. Uh, we we always look at our microcosm that is uh, our uh, uh, direct competition, but. Uh, Obviously, this is part of, of far larger and greater uh, issues that, uh, again, we hope for, for the sake of everyone's health and safety that uh, we will be able to, uh, to, come back, to come back to normality or some sort of normality by, uh, by October. Uh, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's kind of recap a little bit of the season. Not, we don't, we don't want to, uh, you know, really necessarily go too much, but, you know, we do know six of the eight teams that have, uh, that have reached the, the, the final eight. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe just, what do you think about some of the stories that have come about this year? Obviously Nuremberg, you know, has, you know, has been one of the best teams this season, uh, with their sort of uh, mix of, of, of Czech veterans, young Americans, uh, Ike has gone through a transformation this year. You know, uh, Turk Telecom has been really strong. This, you know, Spanish clubs. You know, maybe just 
you know, what do you think about the teams that, uh, let's call it the final 10 teams. Uh, you know, obviously we still have two spots to be decided. What do you think about the, 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 the 10 teams that are still fighting for, for the 1920 champions? I think we are having um, the most competitive uh, BCL season to date. And again, we are just four years old. So uh, we all take all this with a relative uh, uh, appreciation. Um, But uh, uh, our uh, group stage was extremely competitive. Um, If you see teams that had in the past easily qualified to the knockout phase and this year they they were not able to do so and i'm speaking of clubs like strasbourg uh, or neptunas teams that that have been consistently uh, performing uh, at the basketball champions league that have had good rosters coming from strong leagues uh, this is for us a, a, an indication of the depth uh, that the regular season uh, had and then we saw some very competitive games because of course uh, finishing first in the group uh, uh, does have uh, additional uh, uh, advantages uh, in terms of, of uh, the knockout phase. So uh, we saw some some very very uh, competitive uh, games and then some some very exciting games. Now uh, looking at the clubs uh, one by one, uh, I, I will fully agree with with a lot of your comments. I think Nimburg was certainly uh, the the positive surprise uh, of the year in the sense that this is a club that has been uh, consistently playing in in the BCL, uh, making it or borderline missing out of the playoffs. Uh, And this year they they, uh, won uh, a very competitive uh, group uh, with the likes of Tenerife uh, in it and Bamberg. Uh, So that that was certainly uh, uh, a very positive surprise. And... um, and as you said, the mix of uh, a good uh, uh, homegrown uh, basis that actually is the, is the backbone of the Czech national team that did equally surprisingly uh, well at the recent uh, World Cup in China, uh, that combination, I think, uh, worked very well. Uh, in discussing with the guys at Nimburg, they also feel that the chemistry uh, with with some of the American players uh, at the team worked very well. So of course, um, it was it was very beneficial uh, for them. Uh, for us, one of the very positive stories um, that came out of the season so far and is still in in the top ten is is Burgos, uh, a team that uh, plays for the first time. Uh, in in the BCL and in any European competition for that matter, uh, but uh, the story of the the local engagement, the city's support, and the sellout of over nine thousand uh, spectators at every single game. They actually hold uh, the record attendance, uh, first and second game in in attendance uh, this year. Their home games against Ike and Hapoel. Uh, so that was also uh, a very uh, unique uh, story. Uh, going back to the qualification rounds, uh, Burgos uh, played in the qualification round and eliminated uh, Kiev uh, from the Ukraine, uh, also in front of uh, more than 9,500 spectators. So for a qualification round game in September, that is, uh, is quite impressive. So uh, great, great story. 
uh, with uh, with Burgos as well, and this is perhaps some of the of the uh, sad outcomes of uh, not being able to properly conclude the season because we would have seen some amazing scenes uh, in arenas such as uh, Burgos or such as uh, Hapoel or such as the Oaka Arena uh, during uh, what should have been the series uh, of the quarterfinals. But again, uh, this is this is the situation. Um, you mentioned Ike. I think Ike. Uh, had a very interesting story because they went through a very rapid uh, transformation. They they used their four uh, uh, new players, the opportunity to register new players uh, very early uh, compared to, to what is the average. Uh, and uh, they sold uh, arguably their MVP uh, in the middle of the season at a very crucial point when, when Sandros was sold to, to Jessica Moscow. So they had to, to restart everything. But there, I think the, the experience that a club like Ike has uh, in, uh, in both forming, but also recruiting and, and being always competitive, coming from, from a very competitive league and, and being one of the biggest brands in the game, um, allowed them to, to adjust and at the end finish, finish the season um, on a high. Hapoel uh, Jerusalem uh, has been, I think, uh, very consistent this year and, and has been um, targeting the, the trophy from day one. Uh, and, and they are uh, always uh, a, a force to reckon with. Hapoel uh, is with us now two seasons, which means that uh, they have played just for the regular season uh, 14 games at home, and they have only lost one game. Uh, so again, one one very very strong uh, uh, home court that uh, has allowed them to 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 grow into the competition. Um, then you have some some of the traditional uh, teams like uh, Tenerife that has been a regular uh, in our top eight uh, over the last uh, years and and the participant in the final four. They recently won the Intercontinental uh, Cup, uh, beating beating Bologna in the final. What is very interesting with Tenerife from a basketball point of view is that last summer they changed their entire roster. They did not keep a single player from last season. Uh, but once again, uh, here they are, uh, top four uh, in uh, in the Spanish league and quarterfinalists, uh, well, one step closer to being quarterfinalists, to, to be absolutely correct, they still have uh, to play one more game if they, if they hope to reach the, the quarterfinals. So, uh, very interesting story there from a pure basketball point of view, because, you know, we were speaking uh, about Nimburg that has uh, a very steady uh, uh, foundation of, of players uh, coming from the Czech Republic, uh, and then uh, it's all about the chemistry of the American players that came in this season versus uh, a team like uh, Tenerife that literally uh, had all new players uh, this season. So, so quite an interesting uh, uh, approach uh, in, in both cases. Um, I think Turk Telecom, uh, they are uh, uh, very consistent. Uh, they are very... Um, uh, strong, especially uh, at home, uh, and that has allowed them to have a very, very good uh, start of the season. Also, some very good 
performances by by some of their um, American players. And again, uh, a team that is new to the BCL. They were uh, in the Euro Cup uh, last year and uh, one that uh, is certainly uh, performing at a very high level. Uh, if we look at all the, the teams that remain in the competition, uh, all of them, uh, with the exception, I think, of Burgos or, and, and Telecom, they are all in the top position of their respective leagues. Saragossa uh, is third uh, in Spain, Tenerife is fourth uh, in Spain, Ike is second in, uh, in Greece, Dijon uh, is tied for first place uh, in France, uh, Hapoel is second in Israel. So I think we, we have uh, a very, very uh, qualitative or, or a, a, let's say a group of very, very high quality um, and, and top clubs uh, uh, around the continent. So uh, we, we are very pleased uh, with the way the season has gone so far or had gone so far. Uh, very disappointed that uh, we have to conclude it in a different manner than we had anticipated. But again, our job is to, to adjust and to, and to try to continue offering uh, the best possible conditions to, to our clubs. And this is what uh, uh, we will continue to do. Yeah, and there's going to be some great quarterfinal matchups. And usually there is a draw between the quarterfinals and the final four. Um, and of, of course, this season things will be a bit different. Uh, is there a draw planned for the rest of the bracket for the final eight, or will that happen um, maybe you know a couple weeks prior to the event? No, we will try to do it a little bit uh, uh, prior to the event. You are correct. Uh, in order for us to be able to to plan uh, operational uh, aspects, uh, our current intention is. Uh, to have two quarterfinals on the Wednesday, two quarterfinals on the Thursday, and then the winners of the respective quarterfinals per day to play each other in the semifinals. So we do need to have this draw in advance in order to uh, schedule the games uh, accordingly. Uh, again, it's a novel process for all of us. Uh, we had never anticipated organizing a final eight. Uh, actually, yesterday we had long discussions about the branding uh, of the event because, you know, we have an established branding uh, that relates to the final four. So now we, we are being creative and, uh, and are approaching this in a unique fashion because we are developing a, a final eight branding. So uh, it's quite, quite a unique and interesting challenge to say the least. Yeah. And then speaking of interesting challenges, uh, the Leagues that you know we, normally to determine the uh, the BCL teams for the next season would be based off the final standings in some of the leagues, uh, but since some of the domestic leagues have either not finished or were wrapped up um, kind of ab abruptly, uh, how will the league go about picking teams for next season? And do you have a target date in mind for when you hope to to know the teams that will be competing in the 2020-2021 season? Now, this is a very valid point and one we are uh, deliberating over uh, internally. Um, as you correctly said, we very much rely and respect uh, the league standings because uh, we are a competition that um, partners with the leagues uh, in order to, to support and strengthen the leagues. So, of course, uh, we want the, the best teams uh, in the respective leagues to participate in the Basketball Champions League. 
Now, what we are seeing in Europe is a diverse approach when it comes to, uh, to final standings. Uh, we have had uh, leagues that have concluded the season and have crowned the champion, like uh, uh, Lithuania or uh, Czech Republic or Poland have already done. And then uh, uh, we see uh, slowly certain leagues um, concluding the season, but remaining uncertain uh, about whether to crown a champion or uh, what the final standings might be. Uh, Greece and Italy are, are the most uh, 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 important examples uh, in that approach. And then we have certain leagues that have uh, officially declared this as an inconcluded season uh, where there is not a champion, there might not be a relegation or a promotion. So from our point of view, uh, as we always do, we will ask each league uh, to tell us how they are concluding the season. Uh, if they do have a final standing, uh, what that standing will be, uh, if it is the current standing or if they will use some other mechanism for, for ranking teams. And in the event that they do not have a final standing because the entire season is, is null and void, then uh, how they as a league uh, uh, wish to rank the teams for European participation. And here, we have heard uh, scenarios that they would look at the previous year's European participants, that they would leave it entirely up to a first-come, first-served basis. So uh, it's, it's a very unique, unique uh, approach. Uh, I believe that most leagues, one way or the other, they will have uh, 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 a list uh, on which we can work on, uh, whether it is a ranking list or whether it is a European participation list, but they will be there will be a, a, a list. But we also acknowledge that uh, we will need to be more flexible uh, than, than we have been in the past because, again, uh, we acknowledge that this is a very unique situation where all the leagues did not have the, the chance to, uh, to finalize uh, their season. I, I will give you a very uh, a concrete example. Uh, the Belgian league, they finished the season and they crowned uh, Ostende as their champion um, because that was the team that was uh, at the head of the of the standings at that moment. Uh, Mons was number two and Anvert uh, was number three. Uh, but in the coming weeks, Anvert uh, was meant to to uh, have games that they felt uh, they would have won. I think one of them included also playing against Mons uh, and therefore would uh, allow them to. Uh, Hopefully for them, uh, they were thinking and, and hoping that they would surpass Mons and then finish second, which would guarantee them a place at least in the BCL qualification round. So uh, we have been in discussions with them because, again, uh, this is a very unique situation where we do have the official ranking from the league and we will respect Ostend as champion, Mons as, as runner-up. But we, we will also need to see how we we might uh, need to treat the entire contingency of clubs that, that are participating uh, in European leagues. Uh, so we are um, dealing with this uh, on a regular basis, and we hope that by the end of June, uh, when uh, even the leagues that are hoping to conclude will have concluded uh, in the event that they are able to resume, then at that point we would have a lot more information uh, on which to rely in terms of uh, of uh, planning the next season. Sounds like lots of fun. <laughs> well, <laughs> <I'm just> 
um, there was a there was an announcement back in January that um, that passed over, uh, let's say, our desk uh, with with the uh, coast to coast, and you know we've been meaning to talk about. Um, I'm 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 sort of a business geek, so this is kind of uh, interesting for me. Uh, FIBA announced uh, that there was a partnership uh, with GCBHLP. Uh, which specializes in the areas of media broadcasting, digital rights, sports com- sports commercialization, sponsorship, and growth investment, uh, with the stated goal to take the BCL to its next level and reshape the la- landscape of club competitions in Europe and beyond. Uh, first, let's start off with how, if at all, will the coronavirus and the economic hit um, impact this deal? This is an American company. It will... Uh, um not impact the deal itself because the deal has been concluded and we are in regular discussions with uh, with uh, uh, directors of uh, this this holding company that has been exclusively uh, formed uh, for for the purpose of investing uh, in in basketball their their acronym uh, indicates so the b the b stands for basketball uh, so uh, we are we are in continuing discussions i had a very long conf call uh, with them uh, yesterday afternoon. Uh, Kevin uh, is residing in California, so with a time difference, uh, he's having breakfast, I'm having dinner, but these are uh, very productive uh, discussions. So uh, the deal, the deal is concluded. Uh, we have this new uh, partnership uh, that is meant uh, as, as the statement that you read uh, uh, highlights uh, help us grow the the basketball champions league uh, and club competitions uh, around the globe uh, as a whole uh, of course the the covid-19 situation is is impacting uh, the entire industry uh, so this is one of the points that that we were discussing with uh, with our american friends uh, yesterday uh, uh, and, and the relevant impact into into the organization and what this means for the BCL uh, going forward. But um, I also believe that uh, this is a time when uh, uh, competitions such as the BCL and institutions such as FIBA uh, will demonstrate their ability uh, to not just uh, survive this crisis, but come out of it even stronger and uh, and support uh, the the leagues and the clubs because this is at the end the backbone uh, of European basketball. If we don't have strong leagues, if we don't have strong clubs, uh, we will never be able to grow and develop the sport. So so part of our um, obligation and and uh, purpose uh, over the next uh, months it is to also see uh, how we can make sure that uh, our game remains uh, very strong and our clubs and our leagues uh, remain uh, competitive. So. Uh, the 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 discussions are ongoing and uh, it's a very creative part uh, of uh, of my job as well. Unfortunately, now uh, it is uh, during a time where we have to adjust uh, to everything that is happening. But uh, again, uh, this is this is a unique situation. Uh, our American friends uh, they also see it as as such. Uh, they have been in the past involved uh, directly as owners in NBA franchises, so they know the NBA world very well, and they are also seeing the efforts the NBA is, is making in trying to find um, uh, a creative solution uh, for for the NBA league to also resume and conclude. So, 
we all acknowledge that these are unique times and uh, and uh, we are we are in uncharted waters for sure yeah patrick and maybe it's too early to say but what could this new partnership potentially mean uh both for bcl clubs and then bcl fans like would we notice uh any differences next season based off of this? Well, I think the purpose of, of this partnership was to um, help us uh, um, accelerate our our path to, to growth and development. Uh, when we started the BCL back in 2016, um, we were doing this during a time when FIBA had uh, not organized uh, club competitions uh, on a regular basis for for quite some time. So the first and most important aspect, from from my point of view and from FIBA's point of view, was to gain a level of credibility and for the marketplace to truly believe that uh, the BCL was a competition uh, organized at a certain standard and delivering uh, a high quality uh, uh, of competition. And I think that after three years. Uh, this uh, this has been well established. Uh, uh, even surprised many uh, at how uh, fast we were able to reach the, the sort of quality levels that uh, that we were all hoping to do. Uh, and uh, and again, the final four is always a demonstration uh, of our desire to to always uh, organize top events. So for us, the first three years was all about gaining the credibility, gaining the confidence of the market. Uh, getting teams uh, to really understand what uh, our mission is and, of course, uh, uh, supporting the leagues uh, in everything that we do because, again, this is a competition meant to strengthen the domestic leagues and the development of the game. So uh, with this in mind, um, we we had always anticipated that uh, come uh, season three and moving onwards, uh, we would go out into the market and try to find uh, uh, a partner uh, that would uh, uh, support us in this uh, and the support that uh, uh, we were looking for and, and we are receiving is not just the financial one. Uh, it's not the, the money alone that is, is missing uh, in our minds uh, in order to, to make the BCL a, a top tier European competition. Uh, we needed uh, the sort of uh, uh, industry expertise uh, the smart money, to, to speak in, in pure business terms, uh, the competence of people that have a fresh uh, outlook into the competition that might help us think outside the box, might help us uh, reach the, the sort of media and commercial uh, agreements that uh, w- will help us drive the competition to, to the next level. And we're extremely fortunate uh, to have guys like, uh, like Kevin and, and Brian on board uh, they have a, an impressive track record when it comes both to sports, media, and the financial sectors. So uh, they lead uh, a consortium of American investors that that has seen uh, the opportunity uh, that exists. And and uh, uh, when they sometimes introduce themselves, they always refer to the popularity uh, of the game of basketball in Europe in comparison to the market share. Uh, it occupies. And, and that's highly disproportionate. Uh, it is, without a doubt, the, the number two sport uh, in Europe. But if you look at, at the numbers and the market share, uh, they do not represent what the number two sport in Europe should be able 
to generate uh, with all KPIs uh, taking into consideration. So from them, from from a from a, a commercial and and uh, an opportunity point of view, uh, this had tremendous potential. Uh, and in this case, we do not have just a company that came in for the short term, acquired media rights with the intention of reselling them. Uh, we have equity partners. Uh, they have now um, a shareholding uh, in uh, in Clubco, uh, a new company that was formed for the purposes of uh, of uh, investing directly into the BCL and into other club competitions. And therefore, they, they are in it for the long run. They, they enjoy the game of basketball. They enjoy to, to see its, its growth. And what I think is also important, um, because again, we are looking at it from, from a global point of view, because right now our partnership goes beyond the European uh, uh, territory. What for uh, uh, our new partners was, was also very appealing is how the BCL forms part of a much wider global strategy that FIBA has demonstrated over the last uh, years uh, and has solidified with, with a, a unanimous vote at the recent FIBA Congress. And, and I'm talking about the strengthening of club competitions uh, at the global level. Uh, we are speaking uh, right now of the BCL because that's, that's our primary uh, uh, focus, but uh, at the same time, last October, uh, BCL Americas was launched, uh, our little cousin in, in Latin America. Uh, you know of the business partnership between FIBA and the NBA uh, for the growth of the Basketball African League that was supposed to start uh, to have started already in March. This has now been uh, postponed for the fall uh, because of the current coronavirus situation. Uh, we are exploring options for the development of club competitions in, in Asia. And of course, we have revamped uh, our uh, Intercontinental Cup to now also include uh, the representatives of the NBA by virtue of the winners of the NBA D-League participating, which again is testament to the very strong links and the very strong partnership that uh, FIBA has now established with the NBA. So again, from uh, from an investment point of view, from a, a group of people that love and understand the game of basketball but are uh, astute businessmen, uh, the opportunity to partner with the governing body of world basketball uh, and to see the, the opportunities that exist in club competitions around the world uh, was very appealing and, and we are extremely pleased uh, to have made this uh, this next step. Uh, when it comes to what the fans uh, can expect, uh, again, next year is, is a unique season uh, because of everything that is happening in anticipation of it, but our intention is to continue to grow the Basketball Champions League, uh, to have uh, uh, the opportunity to offer uh, to the clubs even better conditions for participating in our competition and uh, and at the end uh, to have a very solid um, uh, proposition and property sport property for for all uh, parties involved and again uh, our key uh, values uh, remain uh, intact uh, we want strong leagues we want strong clubs uh, we want to give value to the domestic results and to all the results uh, on the court. This, this is our DNA. This will never uh, change. Uh, we very much believe that basketball in Europe is, is played by hundreds of clubs, and we are here to cater to the needs uh, of the many 
because that's the only way to to grow the sport. Um, la last question. You you kind of uh, started uh, to kind of get into it. Uh, obviously, we we we're not done with the 2019-20 season. Uh, and, uh, obviously we, 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 we know that the situation right now is, is obviously was not, uh, expected to come about. Um, but maybe what are some things that the BCL, uh, is looking to implement for, or change for the 2020, 21 season? To be honest, we are not changing uh, uh, a lot that at least will be, let's say, so visible uh, to the fans uh, when it comes to, to a lot of the back office work that, that we are doing. Uh, I am a strong believer that competition formats uh, and competition structures uh, should not change uh, constantly. I think basketball has been uh, uh, hampered by the fact that uh, over the last uh, years, competitions change their format regularly uh, and do not provide the sort of stability that uh, that allows uh, certainty and understanding of the competition. So from our point of view, we are not changing anything, uh, even though this, this new coronavirus has, has uh, created a number of challenges uh, for us uh, as to which teams we will, we will uh, register for next season. But the format will not change. We will retain uh, the 32 teams in uh, in the four groups of, of eight teams and the knockout uh, playoffs as we currently do. Uh, we will retain the best of three series that we introduced this this year. Uh, we have seen this as being um, uh, well received by by all the stakeholders. So, uh, as far as the format and as far as the, the basic principles, we are not altering uh, anything. We are committed to uh, producing uh, and broadcasting the games at a very high standard for all the games to be broadcasted at the territories of the participating clubs. And I think in today's uh, environment where there will be a very uh, large appetite for sport content, I think we will come in uh, with, with a lot of, of content starting again from October with, with what we hope will be a very exciting final eight competition. So from from a fan point of view, uh, yes, there will be some new teams, but that's that's our DNA. Uh, again, what from what is visible to the outside world, uh, not a lot will change, which I think in today's uh, environment, uh, this sort of stability, this sort of certainty is already much more than many other sport properties might be able to offer. Uh, we will see a, a lot of changes uh, in our industry over the next uh, 18 months. So uh, I think uh, the fact alone that the BCL is, is committed uh, to delivering uh, uh, what it has already delivered uh, and even improving that uh, is already a, 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 big, a big statement. Of course, uh, behind the scenes, we are continuously working when it comes to the digital, when it comes to, to the promotion uh, of our game. But again, these are let's say more indirectly impacting what uh, what everybody will be uh, uh, will be witnessing i think uh, we need to add a uh, another uh, unofficial title to your business card the uh, stay at home star juggler uh, with everything that's going on <laughs> <laughs> um, patrick caminos the uh, 
uh, CEO of the Basketball Champions League. Thank you for uh, for talking to us, giving us uh, a breakdown on 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 all the things going on. Uh, in and as we've said a num- numerous times in the interview, really strange and and uh, unprecedented times. Uh, and I'm sure um, that the occasional headache has come has come on here or there. Uh, but definitely, thanks for for coming on and, and giving us all the information. My pleasure, and uh, just uh, stay safe and healthy, everyone. All right, thanks again to BCL CEO Patrick Cominos for joining us on this week's show. Dave, a lot of great insight and behind-the-scenes thinking there from Patrick. Uh, what were some of your main takeaways from uh, from what he had to say about the BCL's decision to go to the F8 format as well as uh, everything else there? Uh, I'm I'm really glad that you know we also saw FIBA and also FIBA Europe over the past couple of days make decisions on national team stuff. You know, I'm I'm really happy that I don't have to make these decisions. Uh, because, uh, you know, there's so much involved in all of this and, uh, you're, you're playing entirely with the unknown and that's gotta be so, uh, you know, frustrating and, and just, you know, you don't know what you can count on or not count on. And, and so I'm really happy that I don't have to be making these decisions uh, and you have to tip your hat and, and give respect to these, to these, uh, people who are, you are going through this, you know, you, you, you want to continue to, to make plans because, uh, you know, you hope, uh, that everything will be okay in a, you know, considerable, whatever amount of time. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you know, like, like you said, you know, decisions are going to be made in, in, uh, you know, whatever, let's say a month or so, uh, on, on, on a host, you know, you also have, uh, uh, which teams, that's another thing that's not going to be very easy. Uh, you know, the situation in Belgium, for example, you know, that's, that's a tough one. I mean, you, you know, uh, uh, as far as what teams are going to be in this competition next year, uh, with leagues that haven't been decided. Okay. You look at an Ostend or you look at a Nimbrook or whatever, you know, some of these teams, some of these countries where, where the, where the, where the let's say the the team that is leading is really such a perennial power that's a little bit easier. But what do you do with Spain? What do you do with uh, 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 Italy? You know, what do you do with Germany and all these other countries and stuff like that? It's you know where 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 it's almost you know there's so much unknown as far as who wins the, the championships. So uh, yeah, lots of decisions that still have to be made. Um, you know, obviously he gave us so much time and 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 you know and. and uh, and gave us, you know, insight on what's going on. And, and, uh, so, you know, thanks, thanks to Patrick, uh, Caminos for that. And, uh, what's your biggest take on, 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 uh, on what he said? Yeah. I, I just think the decision to go with the final eight, uh, and play out the, the other round of 16 matchups as playing games. I think that was a great decision. And just to, to be decisive, to push it to September and to be able to get the clubs to agree to that and, and come to some kind of agreement, I think was a great decision. I don't think, you know, sticking, having guys stick around and, and try to play out the rest of the season in May or June, that never, 
really seemed like a realistic option uh, as this got more and more serious over the past few weeks and months. And so I, th- I think the decision they made was really good. Um, I'm excited for it. Uh, you know, we had Deacon Lloyd Smith, the writer from Champions League Basketball, on the show last week, and he was talking about, you know, what a what a party, what a celebration of basketball this is going to be when in September does roll around. And I I think he's absolutely right. Um, you know, obviously. It would be great if we could play games in a couple months, but realistically, I think the decision to push things back to the end of September, I, th- I think that was a great move. And so that was, that was kind of just my takeaway, uh, from that as well as, um, you know, listen, listening to Patrick break down all of the teams and their seasons. It was cool to hear him do that and, you know, to know that the guy at the top of the league really cares about the product on court and, and how these clubs are doing. And uh, yeah, I have, I have a lot of confidence in the BCL right now. Yeah, for sure. I uh, really just kind of hope uh, that we're, we're able to also have the fans there, you know, obviously, you know, September, end of September is, uh, is a while away, but you know, we just, you know, that's one of the things you really hope for is that uh, at least a little bit of normality has come back that we can have fans, uh, fans show up because i mean that's really you know what's uh you know they mean so much to this game so yeah absolutely so hopefully we can get to that point Uh, of course you know we'll see how things unfold over the next weeks and months uh leading up to it but it should be an amazing event wherever it ends up being hosted and yeah it was great that patrick could give us a little bit of a timeline in terms of when they would hope to announce a host and uh hash out some some more of the details so thanks again to the ceo patrick caminos for joining us on this week's show dave let's go into a little bit of a season wrap-up now since this is the last episode for a while and i just wanted to talk about you know some of the things that we'll remember most from this season it was the fourth year of the basketball champions league there was a really good regular season as always there were some breakout clubs breakout players uh a lot of surprises and twists and turns along the way and it was it was a really fun season uh that it's going to be great to you know cap it off in the fall but first let's kind of look back at the season that was and dave let's start with either our favorite or most memorable teams when when you look back on this season which teams do you think you'll remember the most fondly uh i'm gonna probably uh i think i'm gonna probably go with ike um just because you know they had the they had the status of 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 being a former champion uh you had uh just a, a, such a uh, a dominant scorer and a guy like Langford and you had you know somebody that we all thought you know very you know very well could have been the MVP with um uh with Howard St. Rose um and then also new, also the coaching change um and uh, you know they had that amazing group in group B with Jerusalem and Burgos and Dirma uh Anvil Fechta um and uh and and then and then the way that they really transform their team, you know, we've talked about this a couple of times, and and uh, over the last you know couple of months uh, in the po- on the podcast. So I think that's probably what I'll remember the team that's for me probably the most memorable. And then also uh, Nimbrook, um I think just you know also what we've talked about this mix of the the Czech, the odd mix of Czech. Uh, you know, domestic, you know, core 
sort of older and with young Americans. It's not something we 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 see. Um, and uh, yeah, and what about you? What do you? I have a feeling I know where you're going to go, but let's hear it. Yeah, a few different options. I, I I think Ike and Nimberg were definitely great calls. Those were two teams that kind of defined the season in various ways. Um, I'm looking at Group B kind of as a whole. Like that group was awesome this season with Hapoel Jerusalem, Ike finished second, and then you had San Pablo Burgos, Bandirma, Rastafecta, Anvil. Like th- that's six teams that were really, really cool and fun to watch this season. And then you had in Antwerp who were intriguing and Poortes from France who had some, some really interesting games. Some guys had some huge scoring explosions, which I'll talk about, uh, in a little bit here. Uh, but yeah, group B in general was just awesome. I think. Jerusalem is the team that I think w- probably would have had the best chance to win if the season had played out and we had the final four in May. I think that that Jerusalem team was just incredibly loaded, so much talent on that roster. Uh, but, you know, for teams that didn't make the playoffs, Rastafecta and Anvil uh, in Poland, those those two teams just had phenomenal seasons. They were so much fun to watch. They got up and down the court. They put a pu- bunch of points on the board. Uh, so I, I'm definitely going to remember that group B very well. And then outside of that, uh, Falco Zambate was kind of a, a breakout team this season. Uh, the Hungarian club, they had a great year. They finished six and eight, just one game out of the playoffs in Group D. It was cool to see them kind of bust onto the scene. And then the two teams at the top of Group A also, Turk Telecom, Dinamo Sass. Uh, both of those teams were just consistently excellent throughout the season. Uh, Sasari was eliminated by Borgos in the round of 16, but that was a very weird series. It wasn't sure if it was going to be played or not because of the coronavirus situation in those two countries. But throughout the regular season, Sasari, led by Deshaun Pierre and, and that group there, they were great to watch too. So I know I just named half the league, Dave. Uh, but those, those, were, <laughs> those were the teams, uh, some teams I really enjoyed watching this season. Do you have any, any others that you want to give well, it, shout outs it, to? No, I mean, it goes to show you what, you know, just how exciting the league was, you know, how many different, uh, storylines, uh, that the league had to, to follow. Yeah. And that's, that's without mentioning, you know, Tenerife kind of doing their usual thing and being dominant. Bomberg was a, was a disappointment this season, but they were, they were interesting to follow. There were, there were a lot of really interesting, interesting storylines for sure. Dijon with, with their, uh, high level athletes and David Holston and Axel Julian throwing alley oops to those guys and to each other. Um, so yeah, great, great season overall. How about players, Dave? Uh, who are some of, the, some of the most memorable, the favorite players from this season when you look back on it and you'll say, like, you know, these guys, either they broke out and I saw them for the first time and they were amazing, or they're the guys who are going to, you know, kind of define the season, that type of thing. I, I you know, I, I hate to I hate to pick a player that uh, that is actually not even in the league, but, you know, Sour, you know Howard St. Rose, just what he did. Uh, uh, in the, you know, two, two thirds of the season, whatever it was, or, or half of the season, whatever it was, was just absolutely amazing. Um, I, I loved seeing, uh, uh, Tony Roten, uh, you know, all year do what he did with Anvil. Um, and I, you know, Emmanuel Terry, 
Yeah. I, I, you know, you just, you kind of, kind of wish Banderma, uh, would have been able to maybe, you know, uh, you know, stick to what they were doing a little bit longer. That would have made that, it, that, that round of 16 against Nimbrook really interesting if they had all their guns, you know, actually still around. Uh, uh, Emmanuel Terry was, was awesome all year. And you saw, him actually also improve over the course of the season as well as he grew with more confidence and uh and 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 Zach Hankins you know uh you know Deacon asked me last you know last week you know how I you know came up with him and you know it, it, it's just you know some of these you know you, you look at I I like to see players that play both sides and are, are and are excited about playing defense and and he was just uh, fantastic. The energy and and the excitement. Uh, uh, go back and listen to the podcast with him uh, back a few weeks ago, and and, and without taking too many guys, but I have a feeling you have other guys that that you'll that you have as well. Anyhow, um, but also um, um, Silico Sakic with uh, with uh, Lead Cabellas, you know just. The fact that he brought that team to the playoffs is yeah. just amazing. Um, you know, a team that really didn't have too much uh, other than him. And, you know, you maybe look at Thomas Dimsha otherwise. But, you know, the fact that, that uh, Leet Cabellas uh, made it to the playoffs um, and uh, that's that just was was uh, and, and 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 really even gave Saragossa a fight. You know, they almost took the second game. Uh, so, I mean, I, I named, you know, five guys, I guess four, if we take out St. Ruse, but, um, again, a testament probably to the, to the strength of the league. I, I assume you have at least another two or three, four guys, uh, up there as well. And I didn't even, I'll let you go. I'll let you go. I'll let you go. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. St. Ruse was cruising to the MVP award before he left and he played a solid, uh, I think 12 games it was or, or something like that. So he was around for a while. Definitely going to remember this season for his impact on both ends of the court, playing 40 minutes against Happel Jerusalem and trying to lock down their wings. Like that, that guy's amazing. So I'm definitely going to remember Howard St. Ruse. And outside of him, I, th- I think I'm going to kind of remember this as the year of Marcelino Huertas. Uh, Huertas was amazing for Tenerife. Yeah, yeah. Really, you know, at, at his age to be 35, 36 years old and, you know, he's, his basketball IQ is unbelievable. He's so smart. He knows every little intricacy of playing the point guard position, of setting guys up. He led the league in assists this year with 8.6. That was 1.6 assists per game more than David Holston, who was behind him. Uh, he had 17 assists in a game. He had 13 in another one. Uh, Huertas was, was just amazing. And that, that one, two punch with him and Georgie Shermadini was a, a really memorable combo for Tenerife. And of course, you, you mentioned Emmanuel Terry, high flyer. He was super fun to watch. He really broke onto the scene this year. Hankins, another guy, uh, on kind of the, you know, the younger end of the spectrum. Those guys really broke out and showed, you know, what they can do at a high level in Europe. So that was cool to see. And another, another guy on the veteran side of things, Keith Langford from Ike. It was great to, to watch him in this league. You know, he's a, a guy who's been a, a world class scorer for a very long time now. It was great to see him get buckets for Ike. And this guy had a, a, a very short lived BCL season, but Frankie Ferrari is maybe the, uh, the biggest what if <laughs> from this season for me. <laughs> 
because if Manresa could have had Ferrari healthy, uh, you know, maybe that yeah. season for them looks entirely different. They finished seven and seven. They missed out on the playoffs. Leek Cabellus won the tiebreaker. But if Manresa could have had Ferrari healthy, like he was, he was electric for the very brief stint that he had. So that was, that was another guy just kind of on the outside. Yeah, and we didn't even mention Jacobin Brown, obviously taking the big step up and Tashawn Thomas, uh, you know, confirming what he did last year. So, I mean, like I said, I mean, there's, there's so many, there were so many great players this season. Uh, so, I mean, there's plenty of ways that you can go and, and, and fondly recall the 2019 20 season. Yeah. All right. So let's go to surprises of the season. Dave, I'll start first with this one. Um, I'm going to go with in group A. Both Ostend and Leit Cabellus made the playoffs in that group, and I was shocked. Uh, I would would have been surprised if just one of them made it before the season. When you look at the other teams in that group, Manresa, Strasbourg, Halone, uh, but for both of those teams to make it was, was very surprising to me. I think a testament to their local players that they have. Uh, some of the, the imports that they recruited really stepped up. You mentioned Sakic for Leek Cabellus, for Ostend. Siobhan Thompson was excellent throughout most of the season. Uh, Brian Angola, Mikhail McIntosh, these guys helped them a lot too. Uh, so th- those two teams were my positive surprises of the season. What do you got for this one? Uh, you said positive surprise. Um, I, I had those two. Um, and, uh, actually, you, you know, go negative too. That's I, I'm going to, I'm going to, because actually that, that probably, but, but you know, another team actually that, you know, positive surprise, Besiktas actually ending up making the playoffs. When you think about the, you know, we, we all, yeah. we, we, all, we, we think about the departures that, uh, that Ben Dierma had, you know, Besiktas lost so many of their guys as well. And they ended up making the playoffs. Um, and, uh, so Besiktas made the playoffs instead of, for example, Brindisi, who who ended up in last place in Group D, and and I had them. I'm not actually, I'm not actually sure. I think I even had them in the final four or not. I know I had Strasbourg in the final four, and they won four games. You know, uh, and I think yeah, they lost both games to Tyrone. You know, the only two, the only team uh, that uh, you know Strasbourg was the only team that beat them. Uh, no, Stras- they were the only team that beat that they beat Tyrone did. And, and so Strasbourg, just an absolute nightmare, uh, ended up costing Colais the job. So I'll go negative this time. Uh, and I'll say Strasbourg, especially Strasbourg, but also Brindisi. Yeah, also Bomberg in that mix as well as a, as a team. You know, they, they had a lot of changes. Uh, but, you know, with bringing in the reigning coach of the year from Antwerp, as well as Paris Lee, who made the star lineup last season in the BCL with Antwerp, I thought Bomberg were going to be better for sure. Um, but yeah, those are, those are some good picks for surprises of the season. Next up, stat of the season. And Dave, I'll, I'll go first for this one. Uh, I'm going to go with 35 and that's 35 points was the individual season high this year and three different guys did it which i thought was interesting nicola de jong from poortez jordan davis from rastafecta and then justin detman also with poortez uh after de jong got hurt all those guys dropped 35 points for the high score of the year uh what was your stat of the season dave uh i'm gonna go with six 
Um, as in the top six point totals uh, by team were all against Polish teams. <laughs> uh, so uh, the first, the top three were scored against Tyrone, 122 by Halone against Tyrone. Uh, 121 by Manresa and 113 by Sasari. And then 4, 5, and 6 were all against Anvil. 112 by Hapul Jerusalem. Uh, 110 by Burgos and 107 by Hapul. Uh, so, uh, and so the top six point totals given up by another team were by Polish teams. So lots of scoring going on against the Polish teams, which, which we've also, we talked about all, all season, you know, both, both, uh, the excitement of, uh, of the Anvil and also, you know, you know, who's going to not score a hundred points, uh, against, against Tyrone. So there you go. Yeah, I like it. I, I was also going to go maybe with 30%. Uh, so as in of the 10 teams that are still alive, uh, you know, Tenerife and Ostend will play each other to get into the final eight, uh, as well as Dijon and Nizhny, but there's 10 teams still alive right now. And three of those teams are from Spain. So 30% it's definitely possible that we have three of the final eight teams from Spain. And I thought that was a good stat to kind of sum up how this season has gone with uh, Zaragoza, Tenerife, Borgos, just having great seasons. And uh, even Manresa, who didn't make the playoffs, were very close as well. All right, next up, our game of the season. Dave, I'll let you go first for this one. What did you think was the game of the year? Uh, I I don't want to... uh... I don't want to let you go first because I actually have two, and I don't want to. Have, I don't want to take the one you might have, so I'll let you go first. Okay, I'm going to go with a regular season game. It was Hapoel Jerusalem beating Anvil 107-102 on the road uh, late in the regular season. This was an incredibly fun game, super high scoring, so much talent on the court. Uh, Anvil actually led entering the fourth quarter and then Jerusalem kind of took control there. Uh, this game had six players score 20 points or more. So for Anvil, you had Ricky Ledeau with 21 points and then Tony Roten with 28. And then on Hapoel Jerusalem, they had John Holland with 25, Tayshawn Thomas and James Felding with 23, Jacobin Brown with 21. This was uh, just an incredible offensive game to watch, and I, w- I would even go back and watch it again, like today. That's how that's how entertaining this one was. Uh, so yeah, what was your game of the year, Dave? That was it. Um, and I have, but I have another one. But I do have a couple other things about this. So so first of all, you know, this was uh, after Jerusalem had had uh, you know they had beaten them one twelve ninety ninety four. In game day, f- in game day four, this was the game day eleven, and Anvil was actually still. I didn't look back and see if they were actually still in the playoff ranks at that in the uh, at that time, but they were five and five, um, and they ended up losing their final four games. This being the first of the of the of of the last four, so they were fighting for playoffs too, and and just you know, and and nine points was also the biggest leagues. Go back and watch this game because you know what what. Le- what uh, Roten was doing, what Ledo was doing, and 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 obviously, you know, you know, you had Jacobin Brown, twenty-one and, and ten assists, sixty uh, percent shooting for uh, for Jerusalem. Uh, you know, high flying, fantastic action, uh, uh, both ends of the court. The other one that I picked, just in case, uh, was the was the uh, the Ike Jerusalem game, game day nine. 
that was actually really tight until the fourth quarter when when Ike pulled away. You know, two real superpowers. Uh, uh, that was you know, still Saint Rose. You know, uh, Saint Rose uh, played forty minutes in that game. Um, so that that just the the magnitude of of um, of uh, you know the top two teams in that in that group going at it battling. Um, that was the other game I had, but, uh, you know, definitely, you know, go back and, and watch that, uh, that Anvil, uh, Jerusalem game. Nice. Yeah. And one more I wanted to mention was game day 11, Nimberg beating Tenerife 89, 84 on the road. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Zach Hankins with great defensive effort on Georgie Shermandini. Uh, Marcelino Huertas got ejected from that game. Uh, and that, that right, was a really right. exciting one that, in, that ended up deciding, the winner of that group, Nimberg, uh, finished with a 12 and two record, which was the best in the league, uh, and jumped Tenerife for first place. I believe that was Tenerife's only home loss, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, that, that was a great game as well. All right. And the last topic going into the final eight in September, which of the 10 teams still alive should feel the best about their chances? Uh, Dave, I'll go first with this one. I, th- I think there's a couple different ways you could look at this. I think a team like Jerusalem, where they have so much talent on the roster, you would expect a lot of these same guys to come back. A lot of them are on multi-year deals, the you know Feldeens and Thomas and, and guys like that. Um, so I would expect some of those guys to come back. And, and so for Jerusalem, I think they're going to be in a pretty good spot. I also think uh, Tenerife have proven that as long as Tus Vitaret is on the sideline, they'll figure out a way to to win games and, and be super competitive. So I would look at those two teams initially, uh, but I think there's some other really good answers here as well. Uh, what do you got, Dave? Uh, you know, one thing I think we do need to kind of consider, you know, is the financial stability. Uh, you know, we all it's like all we talk about is Corona. So I think this is one thing, you know, and obviously now looking ahead, we kind of have to think about, you know, the financials of, of these teams, uh, and, and, and how, how financially straight stable they are, they are. Uh, and it would seem that Jerusalem should be okay. Maybe they, they're not able to bring all those guys back. They don't want, you know, uh, because if they have less money, uh, they're not, they might not be able to, to bring all of those guys back for what is in essence next season. It's the, it's the end of this season, but it's in essence, it's the, it's almost to call it the preseason wouldn't totally be wrong of the 2020, 2021 season. Uh, and so they're going to have different, you know, what's a budget's going to look like. Uh, so, but looking ahead, knowing, you know, I think Jerusalem, just because you figured that they're going to probably be okay, uh, and they're probably going to have big aspirations to 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 win it not only for 2020 but also the 2021 BCL title, um, and and then Nimbrook as well. You know, just you know, you look at the the core that they have, um, and if they're thinking, okay, the money is there, maybe uh, you know, maybe they they try to bring in a guy uh, who you know with the money that they've gotten to get to by getting to the final eight uh and and also maybe look at the draw you know if nimbrook says if nimbrook sees the draw and says okay we're gonna have to face jerusalem in the in the in the in the semifinals 
or if they're not going to, you know, beat them until the final, that might be actually different. You know, you, you can't really look at the bracket right now as how it's going to be because we don't know, you know, who's going to be playing who yet in the semifinals, you know, as, as Patrick Camino said. So, you know, I think probably Jerusalem and, and, uh, and Nimbrook, um, you know, but, you know, even a team like Ike and, 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 and Tenerife, I think you're totally dead on. You know, what is Vitoretta's contract situation? I, I have no idea right now. Uh, but if he comes back, you know, he's going to have those guys is, but is, uh, uh, you know, those guys, you know, fine tuned and stuff like that. But is Suertas going to come back? I, like I said, you know, there's contract situations I really don't know very much about, you know, but, you know, does Suertas come back? Uh, Shermadini going to be there. So I think, you know, uh, going right now, I would probably say those two, uh, uh, Nimburg and, and Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah. I think Nimburg is a good is a good point because I think continuity is going to be very important uh, in having a strong domestic core. Is also Especially such a short turnaround. Exactly, exactly with a sh- limited practice time and limited preseason and uh, and things like that. Having some continuity and some familiarity and everything will be really important when this comes around. So yeah, I think Nimburg with their great domestic core. Um, also, we have to, you know, consider the possibility that maybe, uh, maybe American imports aren't able to come over or something like that. If that happens, uh, the teams with great local players like Nimburg uh, will, will have even more of an advantage. So It'll be really interesting to see. And, and Ike. And Ike, too. Out. Yep, yep, for sure. All right, Dave. So I think that's it for uh, kind of our season wrap-up here. Dave, any any final thoughts before we say goodbye? It's it's a uh, bittersweet farewell, if you will, or, or a, or, or a uh, you know, we'll see you in a little bit, a, a, a hiatus, uh, you know. But, uh, you know, with nothing going on, you know, we, you know, we've, 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 it, it just makes sense to to take a break from our end as well. Uh, you know, we'll obviously you know keep the situation you know, you know uh, in mind, figure out you know when we might be able to do another show. Um, but uh, yeah, just everybody, thank you for their support. Thanks to all this, the the Instagram followers who have been supplying us questions. Uh, thanks to people who have been listening to the show. Hope you guys have enjoyed it as much as we've enjoyed doing it. Uh, you know, I mean, I, this isn't, you know, totally done season two yet, but, you know, in essence, it kind of is, um, you know, so I mean, thanks again to, to you, to, uh, to producing for those who might not know, you know, it's Austin who, 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 uh, who does the producing magic, um, you know, thanks to, thanks to you for being on board for, for another season. It's been, it's been, uh, a barrel of, of monkeys been fun. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just, uh, hope everybody, you know, gets past this, this, uh, this, uh, this, uh, stage of, of society, uh, you know, in good health and good spirits and, and then everybody be that much more excited when basketball comes back to us. Yeah. Well said everybody stay safe, stay healthy out there. Uh, you know, abide by the social distancing and the advice of relevant health authorities and everything. And hopefully we can get relatively back to normal soon and have some awesome basketball. And yeah, the BCL final eight event in September is, is going to be something that we should all definitely look forward to. It's, it's going to be really exciting when that comes around. 
All right. Dave said it well. Thanks to all the fans on Instagram who submitted questions for various interviews throughout the season. If you don't follow the Champions League on social media, you can find the official league at BasketballCL on both Twitter and Instagram. Go to the official Champions League YouTube page. All of the games from the regular season and the round of 16 are online on the YouTube page. You can go back and watch those as well as highlights, classic games, condensed games, uh, every, everything you want there. So go check that out and go to the official website, championsleague.basketball. Uh, there will be a few things going up uh, between now and the final eight and ramping up. Uh, in terms of frequency, I'm sure as we get closer to that and any updates about the BCL, you can find there on the official website, championsleague.basketball. So that's going to do it for this week's episode and for this season of podcasts, essentially, as Dave said. Thanks again to BCL CEO Patrick Cominos for joining us on this week's show. Thanks to Dave Hein over there in Germany. It's been great doing this podcast with you every week, Dave. And thanks to all of you guys for listening. This has been BCL Coast to Coast, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah.